Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. Happy holidays, motherfuckers. We're back in 2022, stronger than ever. We're here to continue going through the 2022 draft class after a slight holiday hiatus. Um, We're working through a couple of prospects per episode. So all of us Knicks fans are well prepared by the time the lottery comes around. It's very important because we don't know if we're going to be in the lottery or not. The Knicks may pick 5th, 15th, 20th. I have no idea. So to hedge my bets, we're going to try to knock out a couple of episodes. I mean, a couple of prospects per episode every other week for a couple of months until we're all gurus, experts willing to put the money up and to help me do that today i have a very special guest it is none other than bryce hendricks you can find him on twitter at bryce hendrick 14 uh he tweets a lot about the draft about the nba lots of factoids all types of good stuff so if you don't follow him you need to follow him expeditiously bryce welcome to the latest draft strickland how you doing I'm awesome, man. I'm excited uh, to be on. This is my first time on this pod, but we've actually done another pod together talking about the Hornets draft last year. Oh my god, so, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I remember it came out like like two and a half months after we recorded it, so it was like a random drop like way after we had recorded it, but yeah, yeah it was a th- blast. I think friend of the pod, friend of the Strickland, James Boo, uh, had some production difficulties for that one. So hopefully this one comes out a little bit sooner. Um, I'm a curse. I'm a curse. So uh, don't get your hopes up. We're going to break the curse. We're going to break the curse. I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll. This is like the most content I've put out in a week in like ever. I'm, I'm the, for the Strickland, especially in non-draft season, you're lucky if you get like one Prez piece on anything in like a month or two and, uh, I got a recap, got a voiceover video, and now the return of Jeff Strickland. So uh, maybe I'm flying too close to the sun, and uh, maybe I'm. This is me taking on more usage than uh, I can be efficient with, but we'll see. So, um, you know, we'll see. But anyway, thank you again for joining, Bryce. Listeners, the reason I got Bryce on this podcast is because. Bryce comes from a certain part of the country 
where some people, I don't know who, but some people may say is uh, the newest, strongest hotbed of basketball talent in the country. And I'm talking about the Pacific Northwest. And I'll leave it to other people to battle metro regions versus metro regions. But in terms of strictly my favorite players, it's an open and shut discussion. The Seattle area, Pacific, metro Northwest area has... It's like, I, I don't know what kind of what kind of basketball camps y'all have for the kids out there, but like everybody has amazing handle and swaggy games, some more efficient, some less efficient, but I don't care. It's, it's all just... man. It's all Jamal Crawford, dude. I'm telling you, no one has a bigger presence here than Jamal Crawford. Like everyone wants to be him. If you're in, if you're in the PNW and, and he runs camps, he runs hella camps and he does the crossover, uh, a big event. That's all PNW guys, mostly Seattle area guys. That's on my bucket list to go. Like, I don't even normally like, like I like doing the draft stuff for fun, but like, I'm not out here at like, you know, EYBL events or even in DC where I am. Like there's, there's a lot of good amateur hoops in DC. I don't go to any in person, but the crossover is like the one thing that I rationally want to go to really badly one day. Yeah, it's I, I haven't been. It's all it's one of those things I really want to go to as well. But I mean, it, it's fun for me. There's always a ton of guys from from WSU or or you know this last year there were a ton of guys I've I've played against. Uh, Dejounte Murray is usually there, mm-hmm. and then obviously Isaiah Thomas, guys like that. I mean, it's it's just a hotbed for sort of these Seattle basketball legends, past and present. I believe not this last year, but sort of when he was a junior, Paolo was there. Um, so there's, there's always, it's always a place for some interesting, interesting guys to play. And even some guys who go to smaller schools go there. So it's, it's a, it's a fun thing. I can't, I can't wait to see it someday. So for people who are not familiar, I'm just going to go through some names of NBA hoopers who have, uh, come from the area. Jamal, we've talked about Jamal Crawford. We mentioned DeJounte Murray, um, uh, Zach Levine. Nick Legend, Nate Robinson, Isaiah Thomas, we mentioned, um, B. Roy, lest we forget, uh, whose career was cut short. Um, I didn't know, I knew Jason Terry was from there. I didn't know Doug Christie, if we want to go back a little further. I didn't know he was from that area. Um, or I know he played on the Supersonics, but I don't know if he was from that area. Um, of course, Kevin Porter Jr., who's uh, having a rough go of it lately, but still one of my favorite players on the court. Um, Aaron Brooks, Marvin, I didn't know Marvin Williams, Rodney Stuckey, Spencer Hawes, who is one thing that is not like the others on this list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Spencer Hawes not really fit in. Uh, don't forget Kevin Love, technically PNW as well from Portland. So that's uh, that's one of my favorite to bring up. Not a Seattle guy, but. Technically within my purview. There you go. You can claim it. Um, but now that I think about it, I do remember. I don't know if it was the crossover or another Seattle event. I remember Spencer Hawes playing with Jamal Crawford at one of those things. Just, yeah, I mean, he's different in more ways than one. But, you know, I guess he was showing some love to his community. So that's there's a lot of really good, you know, it's no, like, MVP types or anything like that. But, like, these guys are fucking talented. It's a talented bunch. And they can all handle the ball even even like 
Spencer Hawes was like a skilled big for his time. I don't know what the hell he's doing now, but Spencer Hawes kind of feels the other like like the rich white kid one, like Corey Kispert, Joe Harris, and and Kevin Love. They're just big shooters. Like that's mm-hmm. more the we produce like the skilled crafty crafty skinny lanky kids, and then we also have the the rich kids who t- get tall and, and all shoot really well. So that's sort of your two uh, ends of the spectrum up here. Nice. Nice. And to bring it to the uh, uh, full circle to the 2022 class um, or draft, rather, uh, there's a couple of guys who are uh, projected to be high picks this year. Um, maybe all three lottery picks. Definitely at least one lottery pick. Probably at least two. Should be three. And we'll get into it. But um, the three players I want to talk about who all hail from this part of the country are uh, Dukes Paolo Banquero, whose name I pronounced incorrectly for a very, very long time until very recently. Um, uh, uh, Marjan Beauchamp. Beauchamp? Beauchamp? I don't know if you say it like the French way or... <laughs> I've always just said it Beauchamp. So he's from closer to where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And like his family is fairly well known in Yakima mm. in that area. Um, and it, we've always said it Beauchamp. I, I don't know how his family says it. I've never talked to them. Um, but I, I know like the people around that area say it Beauchamp with the hard C-H. Beauchamp. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for correcting me because I'd sound like a fucking fool if I was like Beauchamp. Like I was about to sit down at a fancy restaurant. Um, and then Tari Eason from LSU, the sophomore breakout stud who is uh, kicking butt uh all over the place these days um so yeah i guess we can start with uh we can start in the obvious place which is with paulo which is where everything in this draft starts arguably um as a potential number one pick um i was actually not too familiar with him like his before college before duke stuff and and i guess in case folks listening are a little less familiar with paulo and haven't gotten a chance to watch duke this year He's a big boy. He's like 6'10", somewhere between 240 and 250, but he doesn't look like he's 240 or 250. He he looks and moves like a player smaller than that. So he's very much a modern player in the sense that he's a large man who moves very well and is very coordinated. Um, on offense, if you tune into his highlights, he'll remind you of a lot of big time Nick All Stars. Whether you can pick Julius, you can pick Carmelo. Like it's clear he's watched a little bit, or maybe more than a little bit of those dudes in his day. Um, really athletic, uh, not like DeAndre Ayton, freakazoid, alien, Giannis level, but you know you give him a little bit of space, and he can definitely get above the rim. Um, he can do a little bit of everything on offense. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about his other the other parts of his game, but um, you know, I, I feel like coming in along with Chet, he was Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga. He was pretty much the consensus number one or number two guy, and I feel like that hasn't changed. Um, what 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 was like uh the thoughts of him that you had or other folks in the Pacific Northwest uh, before he got to Duke? So, Paolo was someone who, I mean, I've seen forever. He, he played with Seattle Rotary. Um, I played against him twice. and uh, My you condolences. Know, oh, yeah, no, he he pulled off this crazy, like, Euro windmill, uh, like, while I was, like, standing 
kind of right there by the rim. I was like, I want, I want no part of that. Uh, but so anyways, you, so you were in the poster, but you didn't get posterized. Yeah, I was, I was like, I was like back away from him, right? Like, cause like, <laughs> like I kind of he was gonna euro, and I knew he was gonna euro, so I like fake swiped hard at the ball and stepped way out the way. I'm like, no, this is a, this is, this is not my moment. But um, yeah, he's, I mean, he's always been a like just a big, huge kid, right? And um, I feel like early on, my thoughts on him were mostly that he was an elite defender and feel guy um he had really good like timing on blocks good verticality um and then his passing is what really like for me that's what i was like this is what's going to make him the number one player in this class is that i thought i yeah exactly right and, and i'm sure we'll talk about that with the, the duke stuff but i was like for someone who's 610 with his athleticism and footwork this passing is borderline elite i think he can be a real sort of post hub uh, at the elbows or that type of thing, um, running inverted pick and rolls or, or, or catching on the short roll, whatever. Um, that's sort of my, was my idea of him as a prospect was this sort of Jack of all trades, big who had that one outstanding skill, which was the, the passing. And it, it's been a kind of a different story at Duke, I would say. Yeah, totally. And uh, even people who are on, who, you know, who have been digging into draft stuff and watching Duke or, you know, fans of college basketball, I think they'd be pretty surprised to to hear that because at Duke, um, he's per 36, averaging 22, 9, 3, 1, and 2. So, you know, well-rounded, but, like, I don't think anybody would mistake him for a point forward watching him play. He has a singular job and a singular focus at Duke. And that's to get buckets, which he does very well. Um, his, uh, his TS is his true shooting percentage is like 58 His effective field goal percentage, which speaks more to shot making. It's 53, which is really good. Um, he takes threes, he draws fouls, a lot of fouls. He makes free throws um, 83%. So like he, he's a scoring machine and that's on a team with a, with a lot of talented players who can who can all score in their own right. So if he was on another team that was less stacked, and this Duke team very well may have five, not just five draft picks, but they might fuck around and have five first-rounders. So, like, his stats are great, but if he was on a bummy team, he could be putting up some some pretty crazy other stats. And maybe in a situation like that, he'd have more reason to, uh, you know, bust out some point-forward skills. But do you think... Do you think some of that is still there and just like a f- not being shown as a function of role, or is it more like his game has changed and now like this is his thing? Like he's not a non-passer, but he's not. He doesn't plan on, you know, being a quote-unquote distributor out here from here on forward. You know, it's really hard to say. Um, so for those that don't know, his final two schools were Duke, who's one of the best teams in the nation, like you said, potentially five first-round draft picks, where he's mostly playing as sort of a, a play finisher and shot maker. His other one was UW, which is one of, if not the worst, Power 5 team in the nation right now. Um, they play <laughs> that that ugly zone on defense, and then they have no offense whatsoever. It's just a ton of dudes who think they should ISO. Sometimes I wonder how different he would look at UW. 
would he be more of this sort of pure playmaker he was at like O'Day and, and with Seattle Rotary where he was someone who who played a lot as a passer. He played with like Caden Perry, who's at um, Gonzaga now coming off the bench for them. And and he would do a lot of high-low stuff with, with Perry or he played with Nolan Hickman, who's also at Gonzaga. And he would play in the short role a lot or, or find shooters. Um, I feel like, I, I think some of it is the role. Um, it's just... When you go to these high-level schools, we've seen it at Kentucky, we've seen it at Duke, you're sort of narrowed down to what you're really good at and not a lot else. I mean, even like Wendell Carter Jr. at Duke, I feel like wasn't really the full playmaker we knew he was from watching him in high school and and what he's turned into in the NBA even despite the injury issues. Yeah, they didn't let him shoot, and, and he didn't, <laughs> and he didn't pass a ton. I, like it really felt like you know, all, or all of his passes were were pretty much interior passes to Marvin Bagley, and that was about it. Um, I think some of it is that, but I also think there's a chance maybe the vision wasn't quite what I thought it was. Um, you know, it, it's a lot easier to pick apart these really shitty high school offenses that or defenses, excuse me, that get back cut all the time and don't know how to play against a real shooter. You know, he played with John Christopoulos in high school who isn't very good. He's at Creighton now. I, I don't know if he'll ever play, but he could shoot and teams didn't know how to guard him because you just, high school teams don't know how to guard elite shooters. Um, you know, how much is like him picking that apart versus how much is uh, him just sort of in a different role? It, it's, it's hard to say for me. I would say, I think he's a better passer than he's shown at Duke. But he's maybe not the every-down playmaker I thought he could be uh, when projecting him to the NBA. Um, I think it's sort of a mix of both. I think the scoring has been even better than I thought. I I knew he could shoot. Um, The footwork is so impressive. He has some of the best footwork of anyone his size that I've ever seen. That's where Uh, he really reminds me. Uh, I mean, no one will have better footwork at that age than Carmelo. Um, so like, I, I'm even hesitant to put someone in the same sentence, but like the combination of size, footwork and stroke is very much like mellow. Yeah, it feels very, I mean, yeah, I, it's hard to say he's, he's mellow as a, as a like mid post score because is anyone really, right. but, uh, he definitely has like mellow esque footwork at the very least, even if it's not quite to that level and, and, um, the shot making looks really good. He's only shooting like 33% from three, but I have no doubts he's going to be a good NBA shooter. It's just about kind of finding his spots right now. To me, he looks way more comfortable off a dribble than he does off the catch. He's kind of going to have to learn how to organize his body when he's catching and and going Mm -hmm. up with it rather than having to put the ball down and getting to one, two into his shot every time. That's the type of thing I think can be repped out. Uh, NBA shooting coaches will, will fix that. I think he's going to be a really good shooter. Uh, in the NBA and with his size and athleticism, it's going to come down a lot to, it really will come down to what level of playmaker is he? Um, so I, I think it's almost been positive for him that, you know, like he hasn't relied purely on the playmaking and he looks like he's still a top pick even without it because of the scoring is so good. Um, but it, it'd be nice to see those two kind of combined because I think if we saw that, we'd be talking about a real like, high level number one pick and right now probably deservingly so we're talking about Paolo as potentially a somewhat you know sort of disappointing number one overall pick in the how how we viewed Anthony Edwards maybe when when we were talking about that draft so 
Um, it, I, I'd like to see those both come together. I think there's elements of both, but uh, it, it's just it's interesting how different of a prospect he is than I expected him to be at Duke, but he's still deservingly in this number one overall pick range. Yeah, I want to touch on two things real quick that you mentioned, just so folks know. like The back of the napkin way I... If I want to like look at some statistics and say like, oh, I like how is this person as a shooter in college or in the G League or whatever in a small sample? Um, it, like co- the college season is so short that you could have a hot streak or a cold streak that just changes your three point percentage. So like, I definitely look at three point percentage, but I look at how many threes a person takes, and you could look at like three point rate or three pointers taken per 100 possessions because, you know, some teams play a lot faster or slower than others. Um, On hoopmath.com, you can look at different players' uh, two-point jumpers. So, like, you know, mid-range jumpers, what their percentage is and how many of those they take and how many of them are assisted. And and then, of course, free throws. And, you know, 83 from the line is pretty freaking good. Like, the only people who shoot better than that from the free throw line are, like, elite shooters – um, 43% on two point jumpers, which is an insane number for somebody who's that big and also the focal point of defenses. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm not worried at all about his shooting. I mean, like no one's saying he's going to be dark out here, but like, he's going to be able to shoot that thing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it should be interesting. Um, it, like in terms of, you know, quote unquote, like disappointing first pick sort of thing. The way I like to kind of envision it is crudely to, to borrow internet terminology is if you, if you were to create like a tier list of prospects, you know, in, in fighting game term and fighting video, I'm a nerd in fighting video game terminology, you have like S tier guys, A tier, B tier, C tier, blah, blah, blah. To me, in if I kind of transpose that to the draft guys, like, Anthony Edwards, um, uh, uh, Paolo, Chet. These guys are definitely all, you know, they're really good and they're worthy number one picks. But they're not, they're, I put them in that A level, not that S level, like completely like warp your franchise, blessed from heaven, like Zion, Anthony Davis, Luca, even though he wasn't the number one pick, obviously, and players like that. So that's, I definitely with you. The one, the last question I had on Paolo for you, um, I've watched a little bit of Duke, but I haven't really dialed in on Paolo that much, to be honest, just because like, I know he's going to be a top three pick and that's that. But how do you, how do you view his defense? The defense is, is tough to evaluate because, and this is unpopular to some, but I think he's a center <laughs> in the NBA. I really do. I What's, what's his wingspan? Um, I believe it's plus. I, I want to say it's like seven one something okay. like that. That's, I, that. That sounds about right. I, yeah, I mean, give give or take an inch. I haven't seen an exact measurement, and honestly, I I don't tend to trust trust the the measurements that that can come out. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, I I think it's plus, and I think there's still some of those latent um, instincts and uh and verticality that we saw in high school that. He hasn't shown off at all at Duke because he has Mark Williams right next to him. I mean, and, and that's not on him. And, and Mark Williams is a good player. It's not like Krzyzewski is putting these guys in bad spots. It's just, I don't think that's really Paolo's role in the NBA. Um, you know, if, if you were to play him as a four, I, I think he's probably an average to below average defender at the four. 
the foot speed is okay, not great. He uses his body well, um, but he he's sometimes out of position. When he's really locked in, he can he can make some plays, you know, uh, getting in the passing lanes or uh, making rotations at the rim. But he has like he can overhelp or he can fall asleep. He's definitely a victim of both those things. Um, but I think if you play him at the five, he can be an average, maybe even slightly above average defender. And then he's also, you know, really stretching out the opposing five on offense. So um, I, I think it's just, it's just, do you see him as enough of a rim protector to think he's a five in the NBA? I, I do. I still trust a lot of that high school tape I saw. Um, but I understand that, that some people don't, that's not the role he's playing at Duke. He would be undersized as a center and, there's always a worry that, you know, your center is your most important player defensively. You want to have uh, a solidly above average defensive center, you know, in the NBA. Uh, so if that's not Paolo, which he might not be, it, it's, it's tough to say. But I think the defense is, is maybe a little better than he's given credit for, but it's definitely not elite. You know, he's not Chet out there. So that it, it, somewhere in the middle, I suppose. That's fine. I, I'm definitely interested to see you know, where he goes and whether a team is willing to experiment with that. Um, here in Knicks land, we don't get that those kind of experiments. Tom Tom Tibbs always has rim protectors of the traditional sort on deck unless it, it, t- it took Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens Noel, Julius Randle, and Jericho Sims all being out with COVID, leaving only Taj Gibson and Obi Toppin playing to unleash Obi at the five and more wild Kevin Knox at the five. It was a very weird time versus the Raptors. Um, If you're wondering uh, why the Knicks lost that game by 15 and could have probably lost it by 30 if Toronto really felt like it. Um, Cool. Yeah. So uh, Paolo Beasley for maybe a five talk soon. We'll see. Um, Fun guy to watch. Uh, I'm sure people will get plenty of him in March Madness until Duke gets inevitably eliminated in like the round of 16 or something. So the next, the next player I want to talk about is, uh, Marjan Beauchamp. Um, I actually first came across him when I was doing my preview for the Strickland, not before this year's draft, but last year's draft. Um, and at the time, he had just turned down offers from a ton of schools, a ton of really good schools. I had the list in my preview. I don't have it up in front of me, but it was like legit high major schools all over the place. And he decided to uh, take a year off to just train with this dude who is, I think the main NBA player he's trained is like Blake Griffin. I forget the name of the guy, but he's this like weird kind of mysterious like physical trainer, sports trainer, doesn't just train basketball players, also like other athletes and stuff like that. And then eventually uh, he did that, didn't declare, um, you know, it's hard to get on people's radar when they don't want you play, right? So he didn't do that. Then went to what, Juco, I think? I forget which school, uh, Yakima Valley, is that the name? Yes, yeah, he played at YBC, which is where I, w- I wanted to play after high school. So, kind of a wild world, but um, yeah. yeah, he scored so, like a bazillion points there. Yeah, he was averaging like forty-four points per game. I mean, just not not even fair. Like you have this future lottery pick playing 
not even like good community college competition. This is not like, <laughs> you know, like you've ever seen like the show last chance you, the basketball one, like this is not East LA fucking college. This is YVC. It's a, it's a little Valley team. That's, you know, this year they have like a seven, two kid, but usually their tallest kid is like six, five. So, you know, not, not exactly a uh, competition that is, is deserving of Marjon. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. It was a wild path, but now he uh, he elected this year to take his talents to the uh, the G League Ignite in their second in their second season. Um, folks will remember them last year uh, as employing two top ten picks, Jalen Green, who's now on the Houston Rockets, and Jonathan Kuminga, who's now on the Golden State Warriors, as well as a couple of other draft picks and a couple of vets like Knicks legend Jared Jack, Frank Nilakina minute stealer Jared Jack. There's different ways to talk about him, but I, for one, loved Jared Jack and his mid-range pull-ups. And uh, the G League Ignite, I feel like, has been, as an experiment, uh, really successful. Um, different Different coaches every year, different roster every year, but they, you know, the, the kids get a lot of attention they get paid which is pretty sweet um they get i feel like to practice things that they didn't get in high school that maybe they would get in some colleges but not necessarily like you know maybe an on-ball prospect is forced to play a little bit more off ball right or you know whereas for certain college teams you might be able to get away with a little bit less defense because you're relied on wholly for the offense. You know, you're playing with former NBA guys and some, M- some people who are trying to get back to the NBA. So, you know, they're going to, Jared Jack is not going to be uh, quite as tolerant for sleepiness and mistakes as a, uh, you know, some, someone who you're, you're in calculus with or whatever, right. <laughs> At like whatever fucking school. So that's where Marjan went. Um, and the perhaps no one this year has gained as much from playing with the G League Ignite as him. And for people who aren't familiar, he's six foot seven. Um, he has pretty long arms. I don't know what his wingspan is, but it's definitely at least seven feet. They're long. They're long. Yeah. I, I, if I were to guess, and he's like had pictures of this posted, um, mm. but I can't remember the exact. I think it's seven two. I think he has a seven two wingspan. Yeah, he's one of those dudes where you just see, like, you can see with the naked eye, like, it's he's got gangly arms. And and when I first wrote that preview a while back, um, he was uh, he was a little short. He was like six six, and he was not like rail skinny. Like, we're not talking about you know, BJ Boston, Zaire Williams skinny, but he was pretty skinny. And he's kind of jacked now. Like, he's fucking solid. He's he like I, I thought he was a sh- like a straight up shooting guard who happened to be a little tall, but now like this guy, he, he's like a tank and he plays like it. He, he could play the two, the three, probably even the four a little bit in today's NBA. Um, so he's really well built. Um, and I, the person who put him on my radar when I was like, who who's interesting? Who should I be on the lookout for? Is a uh, None other, none other than the mystical one himself, uh, PD Webb at Above the Break 3, um, who was plugged into all things amateur hoops everywhere somehow. And uh, he had given me the rundown. And I, I'm curious what you thought of him, you know, playing against him, watching him. Um, because the player I wrote that preview about is actually a lot different than the player you see on the Ignite now. 
Yeah, so I've I've played against Marjong quite a bit. Um, so I, I'm very familiar with his game. Um, he has been so many different types of players throughout <laughs> his career, and that's the a good and bad thing. Um, there were times where he was the best pull-up shooter of his size that I've ever seen in person. And I still think there's some of that in his game. Um, He can legitimately, you know, one, two, three dribbles, hit a move, and just pull up right in someone's face, and it's money every time. When he played at, um, he played at Rainier Beach in high school. He played at a few high schools, actually, but that's the one that um, he sort of broke out most and he looked at his best in. And um, For people who don't know, like, Rainier Beach, Seattle, like, there was two pull-up shooting shooting guards Hooping, Marjan and Jalen Green, and sometimes one would be the best pull-up shooter, and sometimes the other would be the best pull-up shooter. Yeah, no, he's and, and that's like a PD line. I think is like mm-hmm. they, that. Um, he matched or, or looked better than um, Jalen Green at, at one big tournament they did. Um, and yeah, like it, that doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, I Marjan is a guy who was always overlooked because I think there was a couple of reasons. One, I think was great. Um, I think that's a big reason why he didn't go to college. Um, and two, I think was just where he was playing. He was, he was a late addition to Seattle rotary. He played most of his AAU career with ML 20, which is a, like a smaller uh, Pacific Northwest group. Uh, that's, I believe like Jamin Kemp, uh, Sean mm-hmm. Kemp's kid played on ML 20 with him. Um, so he's, he, he was sort of a late, bloomer in that sense and like late onto the national stage even though i don't think he was a late bloomer in the traditional he grew late or anything like that um the defensive instincts have always been there uh he's always been like a really solid shot blocker and and you know playing the passing lanes um of course when i played him he didn't look like he cared because i don't think we were ever within like 40 points of their team but um when he was locked in he he he's always been a really good defender um I think there's some questions about sort of uh, the the it's it's hard to even say like the decision making on offense. I guess is is the best way to put it. Where it's just um, he's always taken more difficult shots than he needs to, or um, he he's always struggled to kind of see the right pass. But I think he's alleviated some of that this year with the G League Night just by getting to the rim more. Rather than pulling up for those tough shots, he's just stronger now, and he'll just drop a shoulder into someone and finish. He's a, like an elite finisher for his size in the G League right now, and that's a league full of grown men he's playing against. Um, he's just he's just really interesting, and he's one of those guys who I feel like is almost hiding in plain sight in the draft community. Where he's six seven, he can shoot, even though the numbers aren't great right now. He can he can finish, uh, he can play defense. Like, he's just really good at basketball. And in this draft specifically, like, that's just a lottery prospect, I feel like. And, and there's some latent upside there with the size oh, yeah. and the shot making that I feel like he's not showing off with the Julie Ignite because, uh, you know, they want to give Jaden Hardy those reps. Or when Scoot was playing, Scoot got a majority of on-ball reps, which Scoot deserves, don't get me wrong. But um, I, I think there's some latent upside. But there's also, like, he's just really safe because when you're his size and you do a lot of things you're going to find a spot in the NBA, you know, whether that's he's like a Reggie Bullock type or he's even better. And, uh, you know, I don't have like a comp, but he develops into more of like a slasher with who still has that shooting and defense. Like, I think he can Fa- be fans of this podcast have seen Reggie Bullock panic at the rim 
one too many times to stand for such a comparison. Okay, that's as much as we love Reggie's shooting. <laughs> he, he he can be Reggie Bullock who can who can finish actually and and dunk a little bit. There um, we go. He, like Reggie Bullock, but like James Ennis finishing. How about that? There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, like I think he can fill in as that like pure you know off ball role player, or I think um, he could maybe be a secondary creator. Or uh, there's even probably some defensive upside we haven't seen. Like if he can get even stronger and play as like a four and be that sort of secondary rim protector, that's something else Seattle's really good producing. I mean, Jaden McDaniels and mm-hmm. and someone we'll talk about later about in this. Him, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Jaden was he's he's the best player I've ever played against. He was better than Paolo uh, when I played because. Um, yeah, he played at Federal Way, which was 4A. Most of the Seattle schools, you know, are 3A, and the school I went to was 4A, so we wouldn't usually play them, like, in the high school season or, or in the state tournaments, but uh, the McDaniels brothers played on Federal Way, and that was 4A, and we played them uh, three straight years in the in the um, championship, so, and, and not once did we win, so, you know, <laughs> uh, very familiar with, with McDaniels, but um, yeah, like uh, Marjon is just—he's just really good, and I think at his size that that goes a long way. He's really impressed me in the G League. I, I think if he would have went to college last year, he would have been a lottery pick. Same. Um, if if not like top ten, uh, it's just he he sort of made the weird decision to do the chameleon XL thing. I think that's what that was called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just it, it just didn't work out. And and you know you could partially blame him for that like i said i believe there were great issues in high school um but like he had legit high major op- he had an offer from alabama i mean if he would have played at alabama last year with with nato's offense that's that's an easy lottery pick for me so uh, i definitely think he's someone who don't overthink the age just draft a good player especially a team like the Knicks could just i think you guys could just really use marjon he might be the better version of rj Barrett. he's he's i don't want to i don't want to upset the rj the RJ fans right now because I'm not watching the game, but apparently he's doing the thing he always does when he plays the Pacers, which is be like maximum Super Saiyan RJ and just like destroy them completely. So, uh, but yeah, I, I I have my eye on him for the Knicks because even though you and I think he's a lottery pick and he very well may rise through the processes and all that, um, there's a good chance he might be available like right after the lottery. And this is a draft that the Knicks might have any they might have anywhere between one and three picks in the first 30 something picks so um if they want to snatch in the later part of the first uh plug and play guy who also has a little bit of upside he just seems like a really obvious a really obvious choice and i just pulled up uh my preview so i guess he had offers from Unless I got fake news, which is entirely possible because I didn't spend too much time researching. Uh, from Arizona, Arizona State, Eastern Washington, Florida State, Marquette, Oregon State, Seattle, Washington, Washington State. So, um, yeah, mix of schools there. Some of them really good. And some of them have produced really good NBA players. So, uh, like, I could imagine him at FSU just doing FSU player stuff and just kicking butt. Um, but uh, it was not... It was not destined, and to really like hammer home what you were saying, like in my limited watching of his high school stuff, you know he's really good, so he's handling the ball. But I was actually pretty impressed with him making some basic pick and roll passes and stuff like that for somebody who handled the ball that much. Um, 
you know, he didn't have the athleticism of someone like Jalen Green. But I saw way more like pocket passes and like like nifty little passes that were accurate from him than I did from Jalen Green at the time. And, and you know, no no Jalen Green did what Jalen Green does, so it's not like a, a better or worse thing. But I was like, oh, this guy is you know, he knows how to pass. He knows how to shoot really well. I really like his shot mechanics, which is why I'm uh I'm right with I don't know what his you know high school stats are notoriously unreliable on the internets, but I'm I'm sure they were his three point percentage was higher than his uh his G League percentage was just sitting somewhere in like the twenties or whatever. I can tell you from experience that I watched a tournament where he went it was like it was like twenty one of fifty four over a weekend from three. Yeah, I mean, so like, and that was like that was a solid tournament against good. Comp- that was, I believe, they ended up playing uh, Palo's Seattle Rotary when he was with ML twenty with Marjon was with ML twenty. So um, this and Oakland Arsenal was there. A lot of good teams from the West Coast were at this tournament, and he he lit them up. And and I know that's just anecdotal, and we try not to get that, but. I mean, the Knicks in the past have drafted a guy who was only a highly touted prospect because he had one good weekend. So, you know, why do any different? Who are we talking about? Kevin Knox. Oh, my God. I would just memory hold that. So, yeah, that's that's true. But that was a different front office. So we've moved on from uh, those dark, sad times. And unfortunately for Kevin, or maybe fortunately, his time with the Knicks is probably not going to... I'll be surprised if he makes it back onto the team next year, even as a bench former. I'll put it that way. But, um, yeah, so that's how he was in high school. But on the G League, he like you like you alluded to, he's playing with legit point guard and shooting guard prospects as well as veterans. Um, and they really doubled down on his role as, you know, you, you get out and run in transition. You make cuts. You set screens, um, you take threes, you're a play finisher, um, you know, you're a, a wing who can take different kinds of matchups on defense, you're one of the stronger players on the team, child or adult, and really like the three and D plus kinda kinda skill set that we see a lot um of of a lot of role player wings who who get that get that lottery buzz between like the eight and 15 spots on any given year, whether it's like McCall or Vassell or other guys who slip for various reasons. Um, and he's really leaned into it. So his, his numbers in the G league, I mean, whatever we could talk about his three point percentage, but like we said, I'm not worried about the shooting. His free throw percentage is 65, which isn't good, but I'm, I'm also going to chalk that up to just weirdness, but like, fuck all that. His field goal percentage is 57% which is both a function of the limited shots he takes and him just making all of them. You mentioned that he's a elite finisher. I, I last checked like a couple weeks ago, but it was something stupid, like 80% at the rim or something insane like that, which is like, like college players don't do that versus other college players. Forget, you know, going against, you know, NBA bigs and former like all conference centers and stuff like that who are now in the G league. So He's super efficient doing what he does um, in, in this role, and and now that he's he's stronger, like the athleticism that he does it, like you see why he's such a good finisher because he he could get up in high school, but 
I was never like, wow, what an, you know, what an athlete. And maybe it's because I was watching Jalen Green highlights at the same time. But like some of his dunks in the G League and not just in a wide open court, but like in traffic putbacks or, you know, cuts or even just short straight line drives like he gets up and he's strong enough that it's like if he's in the air, like you, you're not going to move him easily. So, um you know, you're you're not talking about purely a uh, a skill wing. Like he's an athlete in many senses of the word. Yeah, I mean, he is like a completely different level of athlete than he was in high school. Um, That's crazy. He was not like, and that makes me think maybe the chameleon XL thing was good for him, right? Uh, even though it was so <laughs> weird because he was not. I mean, like I said, I've seen him a ton. I've played against him. He, he was not doing this stuff. And it's not just strength. Like, he looks like his balance is way better is something that stands out. And then he's just like, I, I would guess he probably he's, he's probably added six inches to his vertical, something crazy like that, because um, he's just powering up off two. Um, so I, I, I'm really impressed with that. I think on draft day, he's 20 right now. I don't know if he'll be 21 on draft day. Let's see, his birthday's in October, and he's 20 now. Um, so, yeah, he'll still be 20. Um, so he's not the youngest draft prospect, but he's also not the oldest draft prospect either. He's like, maybe, like we mentioned, he he did the chameleon thing, and then he did, you know, he's doing the, the he did the Yakima Valley, and now the G League. So it, it's like an extra year. It's like, a, he's, this is basically like a sophomore breakout for him if he just stayed in college. And... You know, I've heard some people gripe about like, oh, he's doing this, but he's, you know, he's a little older. I'm like, no, this is not any different than any other sophomore breakout to me, whether you're talking about Matherin or Jaden Ivey or any guys in years past. And he's also doing it against adults, like you mentioned. So I'm I'm all in on him. Uh, I really hope that uh, our, our Knicks consider him, if especially if they get multiple picks. And I mean, the way this new front office operates they're they're very savvy in terms of wheeling and dealing seconds and just like making late making picks between 25 or between 20 and like 40 just kind of appear out of thin air so if he doesn't rise up the boards like he'll be there for them if they want and you know the Knicks are are in a position now like a lot of other teams where they kind of have prospects of varying levels at pretty much all the positions um, except center, arguably, unless they extend Mitch. So, you know, there's there's a really good argument to just take whoever you think is the best um, because they have useful guys at all these positions, but, you know, none of them are like a Zion-level prospect or anything where you know they're going to take 35 minutes per game for 10 years or something. So uh, hopefully, hopefully he remains in consideration for them. Um. Before I jump to Tari, any any last words on your boy? Just that I'm I'm very I'm very happy to see him succeed <laughs> like this. I I really like I was tr- I was honestly overly like um, pessimistic on him because I didn't want to be that guy who was just um, you know high on this dude who he was like the 47th ranked recruit out of high school and so so i was i overdid my skepticism of him as an evaluator and, and i'm just really happy to see him succeed in so many ways and also have just improved so much he's just a straight up better player than he was in high school and that goes a long way i think so um it, it's awesome and, and i'd love to see him in new york he'll he'll take 
Barrett's minutes, so that's a that's a good and bad thing for y'all, I suppose. He could play with Barrett, and we can just continue our quest to have the most like jacked players everywhere, and line up him, RJ, and Julius together, and just I don't know, foul people or whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah. So you know, we'll see what happens to Marjan. Uh, I'm curious. I, you know, this is a legit, the last thing I'll say about him is, it's like you alluded to, it's a legit feel-good story. Like, the kid, the kid tried different things and has had varying levels of success with them. And because of that, even before, even during high school, you know, he's had different roles in different schools and programs. And then he did this workout thing. And then he did the Ignite, which is, you know, it worked really well for the top guaranteed two top 10 picks last year. But, like, it's still a scarier proposition if you're not a guaranteed top 10 pick. You know, there's a lot of other players. You're going to be asked to play against men in a more limited role than you have. So, like, it's not some risk-free proposition, and he's made it work for him. And he, for him to come out of this whole thing better, I mean, most NBA players who are good have insane work ethics. It's just like a self-selecting group. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if... uh it wouldn't surprise me to hear stories about him, you know, working out like a lunatic or something like that, because he seems like he's about that life. And uh, yeah, that's that's that. Uh, that'll be the last word on Marjan. Um, the last guy we wanted to talk about is someone who I know way less about, and I'm kind of just relying on you to do my homework for me to some extent. Um, Tari Eason at LSU. He's a sophomore. He's having a breakout. He's just, what is he, 6'9"? He's not 6'10", right? Yeah, he's like he's like six eight, six nine, depending on where you look and and how he wakes up in the morning. Yeah, so he's six he's six nine, and he's he's a big wing. He scores a lot. He does a lot of everything. He has great stats, efficiency, steal rate, block rate, um, rebounds. It's all it's all it's all fantastic. And he's rocketed up, not just like draft Twitter, but mainstream outlets whether it's espn or you know yahoo or cbs sports illustrated he's pretty much in the top 10 for all of them right now it didn't even take like a third of the season for for those folks to realize it so he's clearly made an impression um can you give me like we'll, we'll get to his before lsu stuff but um like the player he is now like what's the sales pitch for the idea of tari to you so he's like an elite defensive wing forward who does a lot of things as like a secondary rim protector, playing passing lanes, uh, on-ball defense in the post and on the perimeter. And then he's also just like a really shifty ball handler and, and excellent athlete at that size too. Um, he hasn't started a single game for LSU, so there's definitely a little bit of projection going on because he's not doing... Like, like, who he is right now is not really, like, a high-level NBA player, but you're just betting on that level of athleticism at that size with that handle sort of turning into a good enough offensive player to justify a high pick, and then the defense is also just really nice. And he could probably carve an NBA career out as just, like, a 3-and-D forward who's not a very good three-point shooter um, just because the defense is that good. But the sell offensively is just elite shift and burst for someone with that height. Uh, kind of very similar to the the sell on, on Jada McDaniels before his year at UW, where it was 
a long, interesting defensive wing who has a lot of shift and and pull up equity. Uh, minus the pull-up equity for Tari, but sort of very similar type of sell for two of those uh, Pacific Northwest guys. So I'm glad you brought up Jaden Daniels because you look at his stats and you look at his YouTube highlights, and I know Jaden McDaniels now is like, ah, the defensive guy who can guard up and down, you know, four positions, sometimes five, and is athletic and strong and all that stuff. But like, part 36, Tari puts up 24 11, 2.2 blocks, 2.6 steals. Um, so to compare to the other two guys, Marjan puts up 15 and Paolo puts up 22. So he's scoring more. He's rebounding more. Um, his field goal percentage, even though he's a wing player, um, it's, re- it's, it's high. It's 53%. And part of that is something you alluded to, which is, you know, he's not, he doesn't hang his hat on his jump shooting quite as much as someone like Paolo. Um, he hangs his hat on using his athleticism and uh, his slitheriness to to get by dudes and to get buckets that way. But he shoots 80% from the line also. So it's not like, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody's expecting him to, he doesn't take a ton of threes and he doesn't make a ton of threes, but he's not like a non-shooter either. I think that's one of those things where it's just like, you hope wherever he lands, they can get him to a, kind of respectable level like it's just a show me three-pointer like you know guys aren't gonna go over the screen on him in a playoff matchup or something but if he gets a drive if he gets a kick out and he's open he should be able to knock it down i feel like I, i'd feel comfortable projecting that much from him as a jump shooter yeah i think i think the shot is is okay it's it's a big old trebuchet right like he brings it basically under his chin and you know, it's a little off to the side and flings it. It's a lot of wrist, but it's very rigid. Yeah, and and, and when you're six nine, you know he he actually takes quite a few pull ups. They're always wide open pull ups, but they are pull ups. Um, and I think that's generally bad for him because those mechanics don't really work with a pull up shot. It's very like I don't know how much you've seen of Kennedy Chandler, but it's oh, very yeah. similar to that. Where it's like Chandler has that very trebuchet shot, um, but you know, it doesn't work when you're when you have a heavy diet of pull ups as well as if you're just. It's a better shot off the catch. You know, it's right. it's, it's almost like a one point five motion version of the classic two motion jump shot, if that makes any sense, um, and just how it looks, how it how it like your body shoots it. But um, I don't think he needs to shoot at like a super high level to be um, a good offensive player. Like I think he could shoot like. 32% from three on mostly corner threes and then a couple above the break pull-ups if teams are just going way under and still be like a really above average offensive player. See, to um, me, that's like the lowest possible outcome just because, and, and it's not even about him. It's just like NBA teams, unless you're like an absolute clusterfuck of a shooter where your shit is all janky, like me personally, Prez, the real life shooter, like guys can get you to a level where between shot selection and slightly tweaked mechanics, you can, you'll be all right. Like even like Obi is a perfect example. Like he's, he's not having a good shooting season. He's having a horrible shooting season, but I'm still standing by my preseason prediction of like, he's going to become that like, he's not going to be worse than what you just articulated, like 33%, like make most of your free throws, like 70% or something like that. So, uh, 
So I'm pretty optimistic. And like you mentioned, even if that's all he does as a jump shooter, his his like ability to just both slowly sizing someone up and then blowing by them or just catching and attacking like as a more you know off of a swing pass or something like that like he's so good at both of them and the thing that really made me finally pay attention is like he shows these little flashes of handle not in the the like and one mixtape like i'm crossing you up way but just like maneuvering through traffic without losing the ball um little tap dribbles and euro steps coming after them like very functional combos and stuff like that where he'll leave the other team looking silly. They're not ankle breakers, but they leave the other team looking silly. And like when you combine that with somebody who's six nine with I don't know how long his arms are, but obviously long, and he could jump and he has decent touch, if not really good touch, like it's gonna be easy for him, especially when he's not the guy, to just be an efficient complimentary scorer. If we're talking just just the floor level of what he's going to provide. Yeah. And, and that's just talking about him offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the real enticing thing with Easton is just how impressive of a defender he is. Um, he's probably had my favorite defensive tape in this class so far. Ooh. Um, even over Chet, because th- this is just me being boring, but like, <laughs> I, I prefer guys who st- steal the ball a lot to guys who just kind of protect the rim and no one wants to try a layup over, you know, maybe that's, that's bad. And that's bad process. But like, I really enjoy watching Tari defensively. He's a terror. Um, he rips the ball right out of guys' hands all the time. Uh, excellent on digs. He's always getting two hands in there. Um, solid weak side shot blocker. And also like <laughs> jumps quite a, f- like blocks quite a few shots just straight up. Like, just sliding with someone and they try and shoot or lay it up and he'll just block that. Like that's, that's, on, that's, on that's this a podcast. On this podcast, we called those, uh, uh, old time Mitchell Robinson blocks. Um, there, uh, that, yeah, perfect. That's a perfect, actually like perfect comparison. Like where he, guys are just unprepared and they're just like, what? Like he's still here. And like, I can't shoot it. <laughs> yeah. Like, like they think they've shook him and just, yeah, no, it's really impressive. Um, and he's also like, like, I love how versatile he is defensively. You know, I he could probably play three different roles at a high level. And, you know, he could be like your wing on-ball stopper. He could be your, you know, Matisse Thiable. Just, like, let him just stand at the nail and do a ton of crazy shit and steal the ball and get out in transition. Or he can be, like, your low-man, weak-side rim protector. You know, when your big is beat, he's there to clean up the mess type thing. Like, I think um, he had so much versatility to a team defensively that it's really valuable. You know, it, it lets you get away with playing someone like a Julius Randle at center or, you know, at higher levels like Nikola Jokic when you, or, or Carl Anthony Towns like Jaden McDaniels and Jared Vanderbilt do with him. Like, you have a forward like that who can just clean up so much at the rim but can also guard a guy on the perimeter if they need to or just, you know, he, he's better than both those guys I just mentioned at, like, playing that Matisse Thibault role where he's just out there stealing the ball and, and playing at the nail and all that stuff. Like that's three different things he can do at a really high level defensively. And then he's also really adept at finishing in transition. Once he get out, he gets out there. Um, the assist to turnover ratio isn't great right now, but I think in transition specifically, he's a really solid decision maker. Um, it's when he gets bogged down in the half court that it can look a little worse, but 
I, I think he does so much defensively that's just really, really fascinating. It's something, I, I'll premise this by saying, like, I'm talk. I'm I'm excited and I'm enjoying talking about him because he's a fascinating player. I don't think there's any chance the Knicks end up with him, if only because they've already pushed in a lot of their chips on two power forwards, uh, Julius and Obi. And even though Tari can, you know, he's he's a versatile player and positionless basketball and blah blah blah, and you know he unlocks stuff. Like I, I just couldn't. Number one, I don't think our front office would do that, especially when they're already dealing with the fallout of Obi not getting that many minutes, um, despite him being the this off front office's first first uh, big time pick. Um but also we probably just are not gonna I mean, you never know. We might just think it up the rest of the season, but like I'm pretty comfortable saying he's gonna go in the top ten and he might be closer to five than to ten. So <laughs> with this class because it's so wide open after the first couple dudes. So um this may all be a very moot point, but like we're seeing more and more teams like use their wings creatively, big wings. You're seeing a lot more versatile big wings, big wing connectors on offense, big wing like Jaden and these guys who cover up for less mobile centers like you see on the Timberwolves or like you see on the Bulls with uh, with Vooch. Uh, you know, so that stuff is definitely coming into the league more. And um, every class you see more and more skilled guys who are super tall but aren't just like, spot up and aren't just skinny so you're gonna need players to defend the this influx of players like that and those defensive players are guys like Tari Eason who can match up with both like you know name your guard but all can also you know credibly defend Evan Mobley or something like that um and at least make shots difficult for them so uh he's definitely as far as two-way guys go he's probably up there and uh like you mentioned, Chet, like aside from Chet, I don't know which other guy with real top 10 momentum is hanging their hat more on defense than offense, to be honest. It might just be him. So um, so that's saying something considering he scores like 25 per 36 or whatever. He's, he's just really good. Um, in in Before he got to LSU or even last year, because like he was a young freshman and to be honest, I didn't know shit about him. So, like, last year and the year before, how did you view him, and, and has has that changed this year? So, what's crazy is, I, I Tari played on ML20 as well um, with Marjon, and, and he didn't really stand out to me in high school. Like, like clearly, like, this 6'8", six, 6'9", six, six, dude who moves like him just obviously is going to stand out. But um, I think last year is where he really sort of caught my eye. Obviously, I knew him as a PNW guy who went. He went to Cincinnati last year, which is you know D one and and pretty close to high major. Cincinnati's a good program, um, so so I had my eye on him, and he only averaged I want to say like six points a game. I had it pulled up, but I I pushed it away. Um, and I I thought just with his his shift, his his athleticism, his size, and his age, like I I would have drafted him maybe in the second round last year or promised him a two way or something. And then he comes out this year, he transfers to LSU, perfect system for him because Will Wade doesn't give a fuck what you do. You just got to do stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like Will Wade is, is the most like, like depending on his, his team, he can look like the worst coach in the NCAA or the best because his philosophy is like, you're going to do what you're good at. And if he has guys who are good at a lot of things, that looks good. And when he has guys that, 
you know, aren't as versatile like last year's team was so horrible defensively, can look really bad. Um, but it's been perfect for him. You know, he's coming off the bench, but uh, the handle is still there. Um, he, he can be like a really interesting offensive player, I think. His profile reminds me a little bit, and this is me speaking purely in retrospect, and I don't want this to be a comp, but like, you know, <laughs> like like there's some like DeMar DeRozan, like how DeRozan was in in, in college and high school here, um, where it's like, you know, you're betting on a guy at his height with his athleticism and and handle. You know, DeRozan has obviously Pacific developed into such a... No, DeRozan is not. Uh, oh, DeRozan's I was about from, to say. Uh, Compton. Yeah, DeRozan's oh, yeah, no, that's right. Okay. Yeah. That's right, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is like, 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 that's like our, you know, like, that's like our little brothers down there, so. No, okay, but... Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, um, but uh, look, yeah, New like York he's... hoops has fallen off, so I'm not even in a in a place to slander anyone else at this point. <laughs> Who is? I'm trying to think. Like Posh Alexander is the best recent New York guy that's that I could think of. I mean, there's there's like there's you know Obi and Isaiah Stewart. It's actually been more large players than small players, which is not what you would think given the reputation that New York has through the years. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I always forget Isaiah Stewart's from New York because he ended up going to UW. So, mm-hmm. but I guess that makes sense because Hopkins was from Syria. Anyways, anyways, um, <laughs> uh, I I think Easton's just really interesting. Like, he's a guy who I would take top ten right now, and I think there's a real argument for him to be, uh, like you say, closer to five than ten. Because um, it's just he he can be an elite two way player. There's not a lot of guys his size who can handle the ball like he can, get to the rim as much as he can, and finish like he can. You know, it's like you said, he's averaging 25 points for 36. He's only playing about 23 minutes a game right now. So, you know, sometimes those numbers can, uh, when you're 13 minutes off, they can fluctuate here and there. But I, I think he's, I think he's legit. I think he's really, really good. And, you know, uh, the Knicks, you're right, probably don't have a spot for him, but you could play him at the three and just figure it out. You know, why not yeah. just have a team full of just power forward? Like I said, if you're not going to re-sign Mitchell Robinson, just let Julius Randle play the five and have Tari play the four. But well, the, the funny part is, if if Julius ever gets his shooting back, like they, you could get away with them unlocking each other in like weird but cool ways because whether he's at the four or five, when he, like last year Julius was was knocking it down from all over the place this year. He can't hit shit, but like, like Julius could allow Tari more flexibility on offense and the opposite would be true on defense. Um, so yeah, I mean, they could totally get funky with it if they did happen to somehow w- weird series of events leads to get some a new coach. Tari. <laughs> get a new coach. Yeah. That, which, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, Tibbs would love him, man. It's just, and there's not enough, there's not enough room in the kitchen for that many cooks. That's the only yeah. thing. Tibbs would, would love de- Tari, <laughs> but like Tibbs is not creative enough to do interesting things exactly. with Tari exactly. on this team. Exactly. That's just uh Tibbs is good at many things, but uh creativity is is not necessarily among them. Um the last question I have about Tari, um, you know, we we've talked descriptively about what he looks like. Um comparatively, we've mentioned um some versatile role guys with upside like the McDaniels brothers and Jaden in particular, if you're going, if you're talking more fully realized weaponized, not like, not like insane outlier, like, Oh, he becomes a 40% three point shooter, but like, you know, 
say he becomes a 37, 38 percent three point shooter, not on crazy volume, but not on poor volume, you know, continues to tighten up his handle like a lot of wings do when they get into the league. Like, like I know the answer is extremely good player, but like, what what family tree of guys are we talking here? Like, does anybody come to mind? And again, for listeners, this isn't like a one to one comparison, which is why I like using the term family tree. Just you know notes of various guys like who are some guys who might come to mind to you it's honestly really hard to say because it's it's sort of a unique player type i mean Mm -hmm. like like worse shooting and less strong Kawhi leonard type you know like i mentioned that like sort of demar Derozan. i'm sort of thinking of this like this wing who plays a lot as like a ball handler even if he's not the primary ball handler um and then is super versatile defensively. Like I could see Tari being like Kawhi S defensively, probably not that level of wing stopper because, you know, Kawhi was, is way stronger than I think Tari can be. Um, but similar in that, in that vein defensively, sort of a step down from that defensive player of the year level. But mm-hmm. I think he could be all defense type. And then offensively, it's just someone who, you know, can have uh, above a, 20 you know 23 percent usage or so like something in that range and and do a lot of things you know mostly as a scorer but he can mix it up with some playmaking and uh, i i just think you know we're talking about like fully optimized 90th 95 percentile outcome without any insane outlier development we're talking about an all-star in my opinion and and a, a pretty high level one someone who you want as you, you know, like an ideal, probably second type guy on on a championship level roster, you know. So it, it, it's hard for me to think of like player names, but that's sort of where I'm at with him. The kind of guys I think about usually hang their hat on playmaking. So, or have learned to hang their hat a little bit more on playmaking. I'm just going to throw out a bunch of names that he kind of, in this situation, Maybe not like 95th percentile, but like 75th percentile. Like I see some kind of Aaron Gordon, like not when he first joined the Nuggets and he's like, they're like, you're the fourth option, play defense and make up for everybody else's mistakes. But like, it's COVID. We lost everybody. Please help us score. Like that Aaron Gordon or, uh, you know, in uh, man, oh, Pascal, that's the other guy I was thinking of a little bit, but maybe the scoring dialed down a notch and the defense dialed up a notch. Um, similarly, like long, lanky, athletic, can also cover for you on like people forget like Pascal was an insane rebounder in college before he became you know a a Euro stepping skill player, averaging four or five assists and stuff like that. So you, you're right. There's not a lot of guys because it's kind of a new archetype. Even if you go back to like prime Nick Batum, like he's another one who still mostly hung his hat on playmaking, but like. If prime Nick Batum entered today's NBA, you know, you're talking 6'9", versatile defender, can attack, can shoot a little bit, um, you know. So this kind of new family of guys, it'll be really interesting um, to see these kind of players emerge. He's not anywhere near the same class as defender, but like versatile weapon, big wing with upside um you know, we mentioned Obi, and like Obi's one of the guys who kind of fits into this bucket as well. But 
obviously much more on the offense side than the defense side. So like the real, the reason Tari fascinates me is just exactly what you said. He's part of this new type of player that just doesn't really exist until the last couple of years in the NBA. And we're going to, you know, I'll have you on the pod looking at like whatever, you know, Bronny, Bronny James getting picked by the Lakers or something in two years. And there'll probably be like twice as many of these motherfuckers in the NBA. So, uh, it's about to be some time for weird basketball in the NBA, and uh, I hope Tari is at the forefront of that. Um, any last thoughts on Mr. Eason? I think when you said it, it, it struck me. Pascal's the one, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. definitely the comp. Because it's like, like, how can I say, like, worse at everything Giannis? Oh, Pascal Siakam. So, yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's, um, I think that's the one. Uh Obviously not a direct one to one. There's there's a lot of differences in how they in how they handle the ball and and right. the type of the way they see the floor. But I think that's the one. Um, I think for me, Tari is just like uh, he he's another one of these guys where it's like you just don't overthink it. You know, I I think in the draft mm-hmm. community we can do a lot of overthinking, and there's some of that that's good. You know, if you want to really analyze, you know, PD is great at this. Like like the fucking deep biomechanics of how a player moves left to right. Absolutely do that. Tell me how to fix it. That's fine. But at a certain point, it's like you're six, nine really fucking good at basketball and a per, like a pretty elite athlete. Like I'm taking that guy top 10. If you can dribble like that and play defense the way Tari does at his height, it's just, that's, that's a player that needs to go top 10. He could be 23 and I'd take him top 10, you know, he's he's not Chris Duarte, but I think he is older for um, his grade. I think he's one year um, older than than me and, and we're the same like high school class. Um, but yeah, like it's just, I, I think Tarisen's just really good. I think he's going to be really good. Um, and I'm excited to see, I, I hope he gets taken by a team that's, that's willing to be creative because I think he, he what, part of what makes him so enticing is that there's not like, one specific role you know he's going to fill. He can do a lot of different things, and mm-hmm. his development can go a lot of different ways. And I want to see a team that's willing to get creative with that and do some fun things and just see what he can be. You know, I hope that's why a part of me hopes he doesn't end up on the Knicks because the Knicks want to be good, and I want Tari to be on a team that wants to be shitty so they can so he can do some fun things. You know, put him on the Thunder or the Rockets and just let him go wild. Uh, you know. Him, him and my boy Kevin Porter Jr. on one team might, like, bring a tear to my eye. So, you know, hopefully Rockets. But, <laughs> but you know, whoever, I like, like just, I want to see this going to be creative. He's de- yeah, he's definitely destined for one of those teams, whether it's, like, I don't know. I would love to see him on a team. Uh, I would love to see him next to, like, Miles Bridges or something in Charlotte. Someone who could compliment Miles and LaMelo, but still, like, run and gun with them. So there's a lot of teams. There's, unfortunately, a lot of teams in that top ten that are definitely – uh, a little more rigid, or if if not flat out, uh, just have bad ideas when you're talking about teams like uh, you know, the Sacramento Kings or the Portland Trailblazers or whatever. But um, yeah, the good thing is like, even if he ends up on one of those teams, like you said, he's such a he's very safe, he's very high floor. So even the most boring version of Tari is still a really good player. And while you and me might shed a tear for what could have been, they'll still be pretty good. So uh. Uh, I'm looking forward to to Tari either way. Um, Bryce, thank you again for helping me take this tour of the Pacific Northwest and the players from this class who uh, who hail from that area. Um, 
is there anything that that you want to plug that we should be on the lookout for from you or anything you want to shout out um if not that's okay we can just plug your twitter but i always want to give give the folks a chance to to promote whatever they got to promote uh yeah uh so first of all thank you for having me on because this was a blast and i'm always willing to talk uh bmw prospects someday we'll talk about my guy nolan hickman who uh i i i still believe in as like a future potential lottery guy if he stays at gonzaga um but yeah uh you can follow me at pricecentric14 on twitter uh, all my work will end up there I, I do some draft writing right now most of my writing is about college basketball specifically WSU uh, men's basketball team. So I do talk about like Pac-12 draft prospects through that lens of, you know, when the Cougars are about to face them. But that's where a lot of my writing work is right now. And then I host the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. So, you know, if you are trying to get more into uh, some draft stuff and and spread beyond the Knicks, obviously, uh, Prez, you do a great job. But uh, that's just another place for for some more some more draft content because uh, everyone needs more of that. So. Thank you for having me on, man. All right. You heard the man. You know where to find him uh, at Bryce Hendrick 14 on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, that's all we got for this first episode. I don't know who we're going to cover in the next episode, so stay tuned and uh, come back to me in two weeks. In the meantime, hope everybody is having a safe start to their new year and uh, hope the Knicks beat the Pacers tonight. Thanks, y'all. This is Prez at underscore Presidente on Twitter. I'm out, and we will see you next time.